Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Security Token Show, episode 22. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with none other than my co-host, Herwig Konings. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and listening. In this episode, we're talking about TSOPs. It's a relatively niche topic, at least right now, but it's something that, Herwig, you and I really believe this is going to be a very emergent use case for security tokens. And so TSOP, we'll give you a little teaser stands for Tokenized Employee Stock Option Plans. This is something that is super cool, and we're going to get into it later in the episode. But first, Herwig, how about you lead us off with the news? And we usually like to kick off our episodes, Kyle, with our companies of the week to highlight those that are making the biggest moves in the, in the past week in the security token space. In this case, we're going to save it as a little teaser towards the end. We do have a main topic uh, article that goes with it. So for now, it's December 10th. Let's get into last week's news. 2020, 2019, almost 2020. Almost 2020, that's right. And to kick it off, we've got a mouthful here, Kyle, but it is some pretty huge news to say the least here. We have Commerce Bank, Credit Suisse, and UBS successfully executing the first live transaction on the Deutsche Börse's HQLA exchange securities lending platform. Wow. The transaction entailed the exchange of a basket of corporate bonds and German government bonds between UBS and Commerce Bank, both using Clearstream Banking as a custodian. This was followed by a cross-custodian swap between UBS and Credit Suisse, which in ownership of corporate bonds at Clearstream Banking and the German government bonds being at the Euroclear Bank, were then exchanged without the need for the securities to be physically moved between the collateral agents. The change in ownership was instead recorded on the HQLAX Digital Collateral Registry, which is built on the Corda blockchain. Peter Schmidt, who's the co-head of the Repo Desk Treasury at Commerce Bank, said it enabled Treasury departments to manage their collateral pools more efficiently by significantly reducing the settlement cycle and avoiding resource-intensive collateral movements. It is a first but important step to a new ecosystem where tokenized assets can be traded in a DLT environment. Wow. Wow. Can you just give a really high-level translation of what exactly that means? What assets transferred from who to whom? That was definitely a lot of financial speak, so I'm happy to try and dumb it down here. And essentially what we have is... The two main parties here are UBS and Commerce Bank. So first of all, the, the Deutsche Börse, although involved in the project, uh, is more so actually an investor. I believe they own about a third of the HQLA platform, which is actually uh, based, uh, I think, out of New York. Or mm-hmm. no, actually, uh, Luxembourg. Huh. Cool. Um, and so they, they actually are their own separate fintech company. But perhaps it was the, the Deutsche Börse who brought these third parties in, or it was through, through the, the team at HQLA. But at the end of the day, they brought UBS and Commerce Bank together. Those are two major banking institutions combined. They have more than a trillion dollars in assets under management. And of course, these two banks are moving money and assets between each other all the time. In this case, it could have been uh, you know, for clients' demands or resizing or you know, re-diversifying a portfolio. 
But in this case, it was likely just a very standard pilot basket for them to test the platform out. Okay. And it probably didn't total a whole lot in value, which is why nothing here was mentioned. It's really more about the focus on the technology. And actually in this getting case, it done. Exactly. In this case, what we're actually talking about is a basket of corporate bonds as well as German government bonds, which happen to be custodied by the Clearstream custodian as well as the Euroclear bank. So we got two different providers here and in order to go ahead and facilitate that transaction which is you know being carried out on behalf of UBS and Commerce Bank uh, we would actually need to physically move these assets in this case we're talking about bond certificates that would be moved between the two and updated accordingly so that there was a transaction and a log and the, the banks were able to settle the, the transaction you need a lot of third-party pieces third in there, involved. right, to really verify that this happened and that it went from one account to another and across potentially international lines. Right. So even though you may even have some digital processes enabled, we're still talking about the physical shares and where they are located or custodied. Okay. And in this case, because they are introducing a distributed ledger technology using the HQLA registry, the banks are able to skip a lot of the requirements for moving the physical assets so that both banks meet their compliance and protocols and their various hmm. requirements to make sure that their constituents are satisfied with the security and their you know custody of their assets. So this is a, a major step as it was highlighted by the Commerce Bank lead there. And now because it's on chain, as, as Peter Schmidt had alluded to, they will be able to tokenize these assets more efficiently and, of course, on this new digital exchange, much more efficiently move the, the goods around or the baskets of corporate bonds and, and um, government bonds in this case in a much easier, much more streamlined manner because it's now all in a completely digital DLT-based environment. Right. So the idea is that since we've taken these, let's call them analog assets, these assets that are not currently logged by the blockchain and we don't have the full scope of this thing in the database that these large investment banks share with one another, which is what we would call this blockchain. Since we're taking these assets and now putting them onto the blockchain and putting everything that there is to, to know in terms of valuing and auditing this specific asset on chain, now it should be easier to tokenize because we have all of the information right there in a way that we can trust. So the first step is, is taking that asset and putting it on chain. And then once you're able to do that, now you can create the vehicles that really allow for the speedy transfer between not only investment banks, but potentially the rest of the financial market. You, you nailed it, Kyle. And you, to highlight something that you mentioned there, furthermore, this is built on Corda by R3. This is a private blockchain that is being used by these various banks. This is not something that we can go and look up, per se, without the right permissions to, to see information behind this tokenized instrument. But at the end of the day, it's clear proof in the pudding that they're working, the, the parties involved are excited the, the first live transaction happened in 2019, not 2020 here, which is very exciting. And even more so, Kyle, there are 15 other supposed market participants checking out the platform, including the CIBC, Citi, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, ING, and many others. So uh, very much so we're going to be keeping our eye on this platform. This certainly seems like a very institutional solution for, for major banks. Fascinating stuff. I... Uh... I think you did a great job of breaking it down. Certainly that was an incredibly dense uh, article and, and just fact set there. And, and it's very exciting to see 
these huge banks that are talking billions and trillions of dollars of assets combined, these, guys, these institutions are, are all looking at how to leverage proper asset transfer, which is quicker, more efficient, and more cost-effective. And you know that once they can really get this thing watertight, it then flows all of their other assets, and it's, it's only something that's, that's really going to come in a torrential way. That's the expectation, and it's not just big institutions now, Kyle. It's also governments. We had talked in last week's episode that China had plans for announcing a security token framework over the past couple of weeks. The government has become extremely bullish out of stealth on blockchain technology as a whole. And actually, just last week, they also announced now, surprisingly actually, that they've already tokenized $2.8 billion worth of government bonds. They were a two-year fixed rate, a 3.25% coupon designed for small and medium-sized businesses. So it's the first officially recorded transaction on the blockchain by China and the, and the state-owned banks using uh, distributed ledger technology. And it came out as a surprise because actually a lot of the attention has been on the fact that the Bank of China also intends to develop and issue a stable coin linked to the nation's yuan currency. Wow. So that's pretty big news, of course. That has a very opposite approach, in fact. But um, you know, their, their release actually was to say that, hey, we're going to focus on this digital currency before we release this STO framework and start kind of enabling the issuance of digital security. So perhaps the, the public or even the outside can't yet leverage security tokens, but certainly the Bank of China and the Chinese government already is. And I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot about their stablecoin very, very soon. Very, very interesting stuff. And it's it's an opposite reaction, as you know, Kyle, because here in the U.S., (laughs) there have been a lot of people up in arms about Libra and private stable coins and the threat to uh, the the Treasury Department and both our nation's currencies as well as capital markets in general. And not surprisingly, China has also said that they see Libra as a threat and that stable coins actually should only be issued by governments. And it's an interesting stance because... We have been talking now a couple of weeks about a bill that was introduced in response to the hearings of the Libra uh, sort of um, investigation. And the the Managed Stablecoins, our Securities Act of 2019, has gotten a lot of people up in arms. Because if you haven't been listening, if you're a first-time listener here, if you don't know about it, the bill aims to classify stablecoins as securities in essentially what is an attempt to stop Libra from being able to deploy their private stablecoin. And as a result, it forces essentially all stablecoins to be labeled as securities, therefore requiring registration with the SEC, and pretty much uh, destroying a lot of the flexibility the currency needs in order to operate, function, and grow. Uh, Many see this response as destructive and obviously stifling innovation, and also a move that simply exemplifies the politicians' ignorance around the subject of cryptocurrencies, ICOs, securities, and stablecoins. And, you know, naturally, I tend to agree here to say that, you know, stablecoins are not meant to be designed as securities and that passing this bill probably will hurt, you know, U.S. competitiveness in future financial markets, uh, especially when it comes to the future, you know, sort of DeFi world. 
And I believe, you know, strong opposition will uh, end up kind of calling this built out and hopefully stunting it out, uh, you know, maybe trying a different approach when it comes to, to working with Libra. Uh, needless to say, Kyle, it's ruffled a lot of feathers. It's scared a lot of people uh, on the potential financial power of Libra. So that's why all of this is playing out right now. Yeah, it seems like this is the stable coins and, and this whole movement of, of building tokens. We, we've already gotten this ball rolling, and it's something that, that as, a, as a nation, you can either be forward-thinking and embrace the technology because there's so many tremendous benefits, as we've spoken about, even just in terms of efficiency and cost, let alone the fact that you really, you're now KYCing everybody that, you, that is holding your token, that there does seem to be value there for a government if they were to embrace something like that. Um, so it does seem odd that the, the initial reaction from, from, certainly from the U.S. politicians has, has been to shut it down instead of, of trying to work with it and, and build something mutually beneficial for everybody. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And, and potentially if, if a different country does launch a stablecoin like China, who knows how the uh, response will be from, from other financial jurisdictions when they when they see they've got competition now. Certainly for our consistent listeners, we'll be on the lookout for any type of movement with this bill. Next up, we are going to continue sort of that same trend of is it a security or not, which is being played out in a lawsuit against Ripple, which is the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap. We cover the ramifications and the lawsuit in depth on episode eight of the Security Token Show. But for those of you who didn't catch the episode, the long story short of it is that Ripple is being sued for selling a security that wasn't registered with the SEC to the public. And and of course, I'm referring to the XRP cryptocurrency, which was issued in an ICO in 2013. The lawsuit claims that XRP is in fact a security and not a cryptocurrency, and that as a result, the company has committed a number of violations that they need to make up for to their shareholders. The the ramifications that we discussed more or less could be that it leads to multiple other cryptocurrencies being labeled as securities, which expectedly would also lead to more lawsuits uh, and more issues, and potentially force the SEC to address the issue with some sort of token framework, which we've seen dozens of other countries now implement uh, legally. So the latest update regarding this case is that Ripple is trying to dismiss it once again under the reasoning that, one, the statute of limitations, which legally is defined as three years for financial securities issues, has expired, and even if it was a security, that it wouldn't apply because it has expired the statute of limitations. And two, that the plaintiffs only purchased XRP from exchanges in 2018 and not in 2013, where their ICO took place, so they aren't even the affected party by this so-called violation. So Ripple seems to be taking the stance that you know this has no merit and they're trying to get it dismissed, naturally so. Uh, And it does seem like some pretty strong logic uh, in in terms of what they're bringing out here. And it's certainly good news for Ripple if they can get it it thrown out. And we can expect to know a little bit more at the latest on January 15th when their next hearing is is scheduled. We'll keep you posted. These things take forever. I wouldn't be shocked if if it gets dragged on and on and on. But... uh, Again, statute of limitations is statute of limitations. So if they can get that held up, then then that seems to sure. be uh, interesting. But big ramifications if it falls the other way. Uh, classified <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Definitely, again, if you're interested, episode eight to go check that one out. Next up, we have an announcement from Horizon Globex, which is an issuance platform out of New York that's announcing 
that they're launching a 5 million Series A round to help develop out the platform. Specifically, we're talking about uh, them, of course, improving their existing infrastructure, but it's also to develop out a marketplace with an ATS licensed broker-dealer partner, as well as seeking a MIFID license to operate and serve European clients, giving them a much more global reach. Uh, however, you know, I'm talking about this in the news and not as an STO because it is not a tokenized offering from what we can see. The company is not necessarily eating its own dog food here, but they are doing an equity crowdfunding raise so you can definitely go check that out if you're interested. All the links and all the stories that I cover during the news segment, as well as everything on this podcast, you can find in the description from wherever you're listening, or you can go directly to the source at stomarket.com news and participate and contribute your own content. Last up in the newsreel, I want to give a shout out to the, the securities.io interview series which recently released uh, an interview with Christian Platzer, who's a co-founder and managing partner of Black Manta Capital. Black Manta Capital actually uh, took my company of the week back in August when they were awarded a MIFID license uh, to go ahead and start issuing STOs in Europe. Since then, the company has announced several partnerships, including with Tokeny and Digimax, and their main effort is to bridge Asian and European markets. So it's, it's a great interview. If you're interested in learning more about them, definitely go check that out. And with that, Kyle, that's the end of the news. I'll hand it over to you. And so now we're moving into specific security token offerings. What, what's the newest of the new in uh, the primary offerings, the, the ones that are now coming out, the ones that have closed their rounds, and then, of course, the secondary market. So first up, we've got some updates on previously mentioned security token. This one is specifically from an STO called Grape. And so they are a Croatian bike manufacturer. I believe they're, they're looking to build smart movement, smart vehicles, but they're focusing at least with their initial products on bikes. And they actually closed their, their blockchain managed IPO, as they call it, which is a security token offering, on the new fund platform and were able to raise 1.4 million euros in, in their, their offering. And so Grape actually closed a 5 million euro Series A round last year or this year. And so this was actually not the focus for them to launch a to raise as much money as they possibly could. This was more about raising through the new fund platform and successfully distributing this, this blockchain managed IPO as they're calling it, but again, which is a tokenized equity, really is a security token. So the equity security token offering was able to attract over a thousand investors from 34 different countries with a minimum investment of $100. So again, this is an awesome opportunity for an investor to, to buy into a, a futuristic bike company and, and developing cool technology only at needing to put $100 in and still being able to be an investor in that, that company. And so according to the timeline on the new fund page, the offering will be issued on February 5th, 2020. So I'm not fully clear on where that will be exchanged. I think especially this is based out of Germany, new fund. There is not a live security token exchange there right now, so I'm not exactly sure. Maybe it's through the new fund platform or maybe it's distributed to wallets and there's a peer-to-peer -peer style of exchange. I'm gonna do what I can to see if I can figure that out. We'll certainly know more in February. But on top of that, you may recognize the name New Fund because New Fund, who is the issuance platform that, that Grape is leveraging, also conducted their own security token offering this year. And so they announced that the holders of their token that they had originally invested will be receiving a payout of 3% of the capital raised 
and 2% of the equity issued from Grape's successful offering on their platform. Neat. So the new fund token holders, in addition to the you know where they're originally raising from, were also entitled to 3% of the capital raised and 2% of the equity from Grape, and presumably of the next offering that they also announced, Black One Entertainment, which is, they call it the Funkhouse-backed one-stop entertainment system. And so that's about all they gave to us. Funkhouse is a large digital marketing firm in Germany. So potentially this firm is backing Black One Entertainment for a, a security token launch. But certainly new fund holders, I'm sure, are happy right about now getting their distribution and excited to see there's another one coming out soon. Kyle, I got to chime in here and say this is a very cool offering. I love it. Not only do I remember you covering Grape, I think they even had Porsche as an investor. Mm -hmm. They're a very edgy uh, company. But at the end of the day, I think it's even cooler to highlight you know, the application of security tokens because traditionally you would not have seen a company like New Fund offer equity that also directly is getting a payout of equity from a company that is one mm -hmm. of their clients, right? That simply would be too complicated as a management, uh, as a governance issue to manually pay out investors and track shares across a number of uh, company layers now. Uh, it simply wouldn't be possible. But thanks to the security token, this is all streamlined. It's very clear and transparent, and it's all doable. So you know, shout out to New Fund and to Grape for this very cool uh, relationship that they have between their offerings as well as uh, congratulations to them for raising their capital. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's really exciting. Just just if you're listening, I mean, the reality is this is how it would work. If you were an investor in New Fund, you would own your New Fund tokens, presumably in their wallet. And now, because you're a holder and you've done absolutely nothing, you actually now check into your wallet and you'll see, oh, there's five great equity tokens that I'm now, I'm now exposed to. And then the next offering and the next offering and the next offering you're getting additional access and diversification to all of the platforms in the platform you just invested in. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's exciting. So congratulations to both of those teams. Moving forward, we have a couple of new security token offerings. The first one being from Max Crowdfund. And Max Crowdfund is the tokenization and crowdfunding arm of the Max Property Group which currently services about 75,000 accredited users globally. And it has a portfolio of about 7 million euros of assets, as well as operating four property funds in the UK, Netherlands, and Germany. So this is a European property group. They've got a lot of real estate, 7 million euros in real estate, as well as they manage funds in the UK, Netherlands, and Germany. And so they're actually looking to raise 3.75 million euros for about 20% of its shares across five different phases of 750,000 euros each. And so over 70% of this first 750,000 phase has already been subscribed and the soft cap of 500,000 has already been reached. So they've at least successfully raised that, that first, I guess it's, it's close to, to 550 or 600,000 euros. And they're, they're continuing to raise until they hit that $750,000 cap I'm not fully clear what triggers each phase of that investment. There was no real information on that in terms of when the next round gets unlocked, whether that is a discounted tranche and that this, this one is cheaper or if the next one is a milestone-based thing. I'm not exactly sure, but they're getting close to that $750,000 first tranche that they were aiming for, which is super exciting. And so their real estate platform is going to boast a $100 minimum investment for investors, allowing anyone to invest in their real estate portfolio or into other real estate uh, 
properties. And they're also currently finalizing the compliance piece of it as well with the Dutch AFM, which is the Dutch Financial Authority, that they are anticipating to be approved by December or early January. So presumably they will have this license even before they finish their fundraise and then they can actually begin to go and launch their, their product. So congratulations to Max Crowdfund. They've hit their soft cap, so they're going. They are a successful security token raise at this point, and uh, I will keep you updated on, on what that looks like moving forward. Awesome. Additionally, we've got another a friend of the show, Smartlands, who is digitizing their own equity, and they actually launched their plans to for their own security token offering here in the U.S. So if you remember Smartlands, they tokenized a couple real estate projects in Europe. They had a, a student housing property in the U.K. that fully sold out. They had a few other projects that they were working on as well, and they're now looking to raise a, just under 4 million euros at a 12% stake in the company, which would value the business at around 28.6 million pre-money. And so while their fundraise, most of the fundraise, it seems like will be focused on VC and crowdfunding platforms, they are opening about 3.5% of their equity, which is a, basically a million euros of a tranche for their current users, their current investors, and the, the people that are leveraging the platform. And so this is in full compliance with Reg D and Reg S. So U.S. investors, as well as their, their previous U.K. and European investors, will be able to participate in this. And the funds are going to be used to expand their asset base for you know, of all of their tokenized assets, as well as working with further development of their smart T payment product and applications that we had discussed on, on previous episodes. And so they're currently taking pre-orders. It's actually not fully live right now, but it was just announced the other day and uh, it was contributed by the community in the stomarket.com slash news aggregators. We appreciate you know, people in, you know, in, including us in, in new announcements. So that's awesome. If you want to check out more, it's equity.smartlands.io. Smartlands, I know, has been a past company of the week. They're clearly very active and I think it's worth noting here an interesting, they're based out of UK and it seems to be that they're doing their STO in the U.S. in terms of leveraging U.S. exemptions to issue uh, their, their equity. So I, I think that's really great to see that uh, even foreign companies are still using U.S. markets to issue their security token. I just think that it's also interesting because they are primarily uh, focused on the European market. Now, I think they've also made some partnerships with uh, broker-dealers here in the U.S. in order to, to help grow their in international investor base. Totally. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, and finally, we've got La Osteria, which is a German-Italian restaurant chain. They, they, obviously, they're a pizza place, but they, they do a lot of other food as well. They've got 120 locations across Europe with about 100 in Germany, and I think six other countries as well. They have multiple locations, including the U.K., France, and more. And La Osteria is actually selling a fixed income bond offering, giving investors a fixed 6.25% yearly interest rate paid quarterly to raise 2.5 million euros through a security token for three new franchises. So they're looking to scale their operation, open three new pizza places, and they're raising a debt security token with a 6.25 corporate bond structure. And they're just moving forward with it. They're launching on the crowdfunding platform called the, the Capilendo. And the fundraiser is actually about a month ago and, and they are still live today and they've raised over a million euros to date. And so the bond is set to launch on January 10th 
and we'll have a maturity of three years. So it's a three-year maturity. You get 6.25%, and then obviously at the end, you get your money back as a, as a debt offering would be structured. So fascinating. More excitingly is, is the fact that they've published some of their financials. And in 2018, their, their last complete year, they had just under 68 million euros in revenue with an EBITDA of more than 8 million euros. And 2019, they're expecting about 86 million euros in revenue with a 10 million euro EBITDA for 2019. So this is a strong company with positive cash flows that is, is looking to scale their operations through a corporate bond structure security token. And it's very exciting. Franchising a cash positive business is, is an amazing use case. It's, it's a pretty exciting asset from my perspective. Obviously, this is not financial advice. You need to do your own research on these things. But I think it's a great example of some high-quality asset that is leveraging a security token. Herwig, I don't know if you uh, have any other thoughts there. Well, for those of you who don't know, Kyle and I are huge pizza heads. So <laughs> I think it's great. Just, just earlier we had pizza. Uh, I think it's super cool to see a major chain like this. This reminds me a lot of the securitization done by Cadence with Fat Brands, mm -hmm. which is the burger chain out of L.A., that did a $30 million securitization to also raise capital in order to further expand their franchises and, of course, pay back investors. In this case, for, for, Caden, for, for the Fat Brands deal, I believe, on uh, franchise fees, and in this case, it's more structured like a traditional corporate bond, uh, which I think mm -hmm. is interesting, but also cool that you can now invest in multiple uh, different chains, that it seems like, and, again, further proof that even though this company... Uh, as institutional as it is, it's it's probably going to do $100 million in revenue in 2020, could easily go to the major institutions or potentially the public markets for this type of capital, and they have decided to leverage a security token offering, which I, I just think is awesome. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. So we'll, we'll have to see how that goes and, and what that closes at. Best of luck to that team and, and super exciting stuff. Moving into the secondary market, as always... All of our news and pricing data is sourced from stomarket.com. And so for T0, we always talk about T0 first in terms of performance because they consistently lead with trading volume. Unfortunately, it just continues to, to really crash. It's down another 10% today. It's sitting at $0.76 cents a share with about $5,000 worth of daily trading volume. Again, down from $10 of their initial launch price. There's just not much else to note here. It seems like uh, you know we keep going back and forth about the you know what what we'd like to see and hopefully that they can hang on. But it doesn't seem like a lot of their investors are very confident in the token. Other tokens that we know they're live are really not seeing a ton of trading volume. It's still relatively illiquid aside from one or two trades a week I think per token for the open finance tokens. But it is important to remember that Realty has now a second real estate property on top of the first one we've already announced. They now have two live that are currently trading to international investors on Uniswap. They may also have opened up maybe one, if not both, two U.S. investors um, through the Uniswap platform, or I think it's through their platform, something like that. Definitely go research their realty offerings through their site. We're also working hard to get that access, you know, the trading data and stuff there, um, and we've heard that the, the demand has been pretty strong. So the Realty tokens seem to be, to be doing well, um, but they're structured a little bit differently than what we've seen from, from some of these open finance and T0 tokens. 
That leaves us with the total security token market cap sitting at, at about $77,500,000 and uh, looking okay for this week. But I think it's time to move forward into our main article, our main topic of the week, which again is TSOPs. And so the article here that, that really sparked the conversation today is that the financial giant Fidelity is piloting a tokenized employee rewards initiative with Tokensoft. And so Fidelity recently announced this pilot with Tokensoft for an employee rewards initiative. And this was announced through a Tokensoft blog post and we can really infer that the token itself, which they're calling the BBT token, was created with Fidelity's Bits and Blocks Club, which is a branch of the Fidelity Center for Applied Technology, which is where they're really spending a lot of their innovation resources on, on leveraging this technology. And so Mason Borda, who's the CEO of Tokensoft, goes on to say that in the, the post that Tokensoft integrated the BBT token contract into Tokensoft's administration platform, which can then be used by financial institutions like Fidelity so that their employees who can use the BBT token in a closed loop reward system that's designed to encourage employees to attend internal events and other activities. And so this is fascinating because they're looking, Fidelity is by they, Fidelity is looking to reward their employees for attending events and internal participation and rewarding their employees for whatever they want them, you know, however they want to distribute that token. And they're, they're looking to, to supply that to the token by leveraging the, the blockchain and issuing this, this closed standard security token. And so in the announcement, the BBT token is defined as a ERC-1404 token. And ERC-1404 is an interesting standard that Tokensoft developed on top of the ERC-20 protocol, which is Ethereum, if you're familiar, with the goal of defining a common definition for the technical structure of security tokens on a blockchain. They, they wanted to build this 1404 and make it the least complicated from a lot of what I've read. Their goal was to make it simple and understandable and that we, we can all build other things on top of it if we need, but we need to get a few common things down to agree upon what is a security token in terms of its structure, which sounds good to us because we spend a lot of time looking to define security tokens from the financial perspective. And so it's cool to see that, that a lot of these different issuance platforms, whether it's Tokensoft or Securitize's DSO protocol or Polymath's ST20, they're looking to provide these smart contracts on top of the Ethereum protocol that really help define what an asset is. And so just if you're interested, um, there's plenty of information on what an ERC-1404 is and how that's different from, from ERC-20. I think realistically that the most important pieces here from a highly technical level is that the ERC-1404 standard allows for restriction of distribution of the tokens. And so it allows you to use the ERC-20, which is super common and understandable for programmers. And then you can take that, that traditional token structure and say, look, okay, we only want to give this to specific employees, or we only want these specific people to be able to transact with something, or in the case of any scalable security token, we only want accredited investors or, or specific jurisdictions to be able to trade this thing. And that's the standard that Tokensoft has built on top. And so, um, so because of that, we are actually looking to give out our company of the week to these two companies. So for me, my company of the week is going to be Tokensoft because they're, they're the tech provider, they're the partner to do that, taking a leading role in contributing to the common definition of security tokens. And uh, I can let you go into a little bit of your thoughts on Fidelity. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely, truly excited about this use case. It's something that I've spoken about at universities and even the Fortune 500 companies. Uh, and it is one that I think is less talked about in the, the security token hype of everything. And that's because this is really what I've seen as the first use case. So I want to make it Fidelity, my company of the week, because they are truly pioneers. It is not explicitly clear that this is a tokenized employee stock option pool. But as you have highlighted, because it is an ERC-1404 token, it's hard not to assume or link the, the two and make the connection, right? So even though there may be uh, reward-like or, or non-securities-like behaviors for this token, it is in a closed-loop environment, and it is on the ERC-1404 standard. So it would be pretty easy for them, if it isn't already, to turn it into a fully functioning security linked to Fidelity stock. So we've used this word TSOP a lot. And again, this is, this is something that you've spent so much time researching and developing. Can you explain to us how would a TSOP work in reality? That's a, it's a great question. I usually like to structure it in sort of from three different lenses. In this case, I'm talking about startups or, or new businesses or small businesses, private companies, you know, really you know, medium and up, and then, of course, public companies. And so for a tokenized employee stock option plan for startups, it is almost just a more efficient way to manage their traditional employee stock option plans, which are either done in a very ad hoc kind of as they hire employees way, or they've structured something typically because their venture capitalists have advised so, or because they're experienced entrepreneurs and they've dedicated a pool uh, of shares for their employees. Regardless, it's always a manalog process. It's a manual analog process that you know, is typically very inefficient. And so by digitizing this process, they can already take advantage of, of managing their, their shares for their employees and their specifically issuing stock options and things like that in a much easier fashion. But furthermore, it also benefits the employees more. In this case, we're talking about actually giving them liquidity for a startup, it's still the same issue as the same reason that investors are excited about security tokens, which is stock options are liquid. They are only ever really exercised when they're either about to expire or in the case of an IPO or some kind of liquidity event like an acquisition. Now, through either the, a partnership with a third-party exchange or simply by developing their own private market, these startups can now offer some form of immediate liquidity to their employees, which again is a huge benefit that specifically for startups is not something they experience commonly. And the same can be said for, for private companies. Uh, it just really, you amplify the problem 100 times over. The use case I like to give in this case is actually the, the super grocer chain called Publix, which is actually the largest employee-owned company in the world. It has over 200,000 employees. That's because even their grocers uh, get stock within the company. And you can imagine it's the same issue. They are managing an ESOP for hundreds of thousands of people in a dramatically, manually, and inefficient way. And there is definitely a same issue of a lack of liquidity because Publix is not listed on any public exchange where they can simply assign the shares for their employees to go and sell off on. 
Uh, and so, of course, whether it's Publix or much, much smaller companies, whether you've got hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of employees, again, digitizing your, your employee stock option plan has a lot of efficiency benefits while also creating liquidity benefits for employees. And of course, finally, there are the public companies, which also benefit from that same digitization because they already act like semi-private markets and also suffer from the same issues of scale that these major private companies do, which again is because their governance controls are typically largely manual. Uh, so all in all, I think TSOPs are a terrific example of security tokens because you can highlight both the government governance efficiencies of digitizing the and managing a, a stock option plan, but you also get that value of liquidity and being able to create a market for those shares. Just imagine if you have hundreds of employees and maybe even those employees have different stock option plans and price strike prices because of the time that they've been at the company. In this case, we see Fidelity using it as a way to incentivize internal participation at events. Perhaps it could be used for other activities such as doing peer reviews for, for fellow employees or other internal actions. It could even be used in the future to even send someone's compensation on chain through the same sort of account system that holds both your, your tokens that represent your stock options as well as potentially how you get paid. So there's a lot of ways you can even go very advanced with a tokenized employee stock option pool with a TSOP. But this is you know, where we're early days here, Kyle. We're keeping it to the bare bones. At the end of the day, simply tokenizing an existing ESOP, we believe will yield many efficiencies, both for the company as well as for the employees. Hopefully that makes sense. Any comments or questions, Kyle? I love it. I love the idea of it. I think it's fascinating. I think the one thing that, that we can highlight as well is that in both of your examples of private companies, when we're talking about startups or when we're talking about the largest private companies that are employee-owned, like Publix, they don't need to necessarily have these tokens on a live public exchange. They can have a, a private buyback system that allows for their employees to either buy more stock if they want to buy more stock from other employees or the company itself could buy back shares. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to go public tomorrow and that the only way that this works is if you go to an exchange and start your thing trading to everybody. It doesn't necessarily need to work that way at all. This essentially, in terms of tokenizing your ESOP, is really just about managing your employees. And if you've got 200,000 employees that are all shareholders, being able to manage each one of those shareholders in a more efficient way is, is incredibly effective, incredibly useful. I'm sure it would save them a ton of money in terms of managing that, whether it's through manpower or writing scripts and programs that can actually programmatically do things, as you said. It, it's a fantastic use case. It's just... It's really, really exciting. I know that there are some companies in the space working on cap table management and some of these other processes. And uh, it's exciting to see that Tokensoft and Fidelity are working on a project here. I'm sure that it will be successful because we love the idea and, and think that as long as, as they can structurally build it correctly and, and actually leverage it for their, their program, I'm excited to see the results. Me too. I'm sure this will kick off many other interested, uh, specifically, I, I think, on the larger side, corporations, both private and public, on how they might you know, leverage uh, a TSOP. And with that, uh, that's our show today, everyone. Thank you for listening. As always, I hope you tune in again next week. And uh, as always, please leave feedback, comments, reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, as well as, you know, 
directly participate on our community at stomarket.com. That's a wrap. Security Token Show, episode 22.